That is one intense movie. I saw it just a few days ago, and it's the best thing I've ever seen on film, on theater. And what's so amazing about it is it's just live documentary of this man, <laughs> Mr. Eubanks and his wife and their three children go to Burma, and they raise their kids there in the jungle, and they help, um, they, they help people physically, right? They go in as medics, and then they help them spiritually, and then they get the call to go from Burma to Mosul, Iraq. And so their story is, is quite a remarkable story. Three weeks from today, all five of those people, that family, the husband, the wife, three kids, will be right here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I'm very excited about that. <clears throat> so, it is, it is phenomenal what, what they've experienced. Uh, I know Francis Chan, when he saw the, the movie, he was just speechless like I was. I was just speechless. I didn't really know what to do, what to, what, how to react, but uh, they're going to be here. And then that night, we're going to show the film free to our Great Hills family. We'll, I don't know, depending on how many people come, we may have to show it here in the sanctuary, but if not, we can put it uh, in the Great Hall. But uh, you'll, you'll make sure, please mark your calendars three weeks from today. It's going to be phenomenal. You, you don't normally meet people like this. Now, I may be mistaken, and he can correct me uh, if I am mistaken, but I thought that I heard that he personally killed three ISIS people. <laughs> this is a missionary toting dude. I mean, he, I mean, he's a, you know, Mike, he's a former ranger, you know, an army ranger. Guys like that, I mean, tough as nails. And so, as he is going in, delivering people, getting them out of harm's way, snipers, ISIS snipers are shooting at them. One part of the film, guys, one of his people gets shot. So, I guess I ought to give you a heads up. I don't know what it's rated. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's really, really an intense movie. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. In a few moments, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Excuse me, I know we've got guests with us in the house. My name is Danny Forshee. We want to uh, just introduce myself real quickly as a pastor at Great Hills. We're so thrilled that you're here to worship with us. Every Sunday, we have many people who come, very first time guests, so we're delighted that you're here. Immediately after the service, we'll have some staff over here in the visitor area, visitor welcome area, welcome center is what we call it. We'd love for you to come and, and, and meet and greet with us, so that would be exciting. You should have received a Lord's Supper cup that looks something like this. And a few minutes after my sermon, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And if you did not receive one of these cups, we will have some deacons stand in a few minutes, give or take, you know, a few minutes, depending on the length of the sermon and the uh, excitement of the preacher. But uh, I will go ahead and prepare you. Do not open it up from the big tab. The big tab will mess you up. There's a tiny film, just a plastic film on the very top, and what you'll do in a few minutes don't, don't do it now, but you'll pull it open and there'll be a little wafer in there. And then after we eat the wafer, we'll peel the big, the big tab and we'll drink the juice. You say, why in the world are you doing that? Well, we are trying to do everything we can to be conscious of, the, uh, of germs and co coronavirus and those kind of things. But hey, would y'all just help me and say, let's not let fear dictate our lives, you know? I mean, we are, we are children of the King. And... You know, I think it's a great example for us as followers of Christ to live with boldness and live with courage while at the same time having common sense and doing everything that we can in our power to wash our hands, do our fist bumps. And I don't know, they say, and I think it's in China or somewhere, you go up to somebody and you do the kick, kick. 
man, I might fall down on myself. I'm not, I'm not going to kick somebody. I might hit them in the shin. So, hey, just say, hey, brother or sister, do an elbow, whatever you need to do. So we're in the book of Acts today. If you turn with me in your Bibles, I'd love for you to read Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Uh, we'll read uh, many verses this morning, and we'll look as, as we continue our series of messages on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 26. I've called this message Real Faith. And toward the end of my sermon, we'll segue right into Isaiah 53, which is a text that this person in our text, Acts chapter 8, will actually be reading. And so um, it's exciting, great, great to be back with you. I missed you last week. I know y'all had a great time. A great pastor came and preached, and we'll have him come back uh, another time and preach for us. All right, so here we are in Acts chapter 8, and we'll look at verse 26 in a moment. William Borden was his name. He went by Bill. The turn of the century, the 20th century, he graduated from high school in 1904, and his parents uh, sent him on a worldwide tour. All over the world he went, just fresh out of high school. At 18 years of age, he was already a multimillionaire. Now, a million dollars today is a lot of money. Can you imagine how much a million dollars was in 1904? You say, wait a minute, Brother Danny, what did you say his last name was? Borden. Anybody ever drink any Borden milk or Borden dairy products? And we have tons of them today. Well, yes, that was his parents who created this massive business. After his worldwide tour, he came back and he enrolled at Yale University and got a first-rate uh, education. But even as a freshman at Yale, people began to notice that Bill Borden was different. His lifestyle was different than the majority of the students on campus. And they soon realized that he was a deeply devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, at Yale University. He began a Bible study for incoming freshmen. Every morning, Monday through Friday, they had 150 students for Bible study and prayer for about an hour at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut, USA. By the time he graduated as a senior at Yale, 1,300 students joined him every morning, Monday through Friday, for prayer and for Bible study. You said that you're mistaken, that you're talking about Moody, you're talking about some Christian university, I'm talking about Yale. You know, by the way, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, all of those universities started as training grounds for ministers of the gospel. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> oh my, things have radically changed, and things were a-changing when Bill Borden was a student there. And so, he said, I believe God's calling me to be a pastor. And all of his friends were like, well, we're not surprised, but do you realize what you're doing? You're giving away, you're giving away a lucrative business career. I mean, and by the way, when he graduated from Yale, he had all kinds of offers in the business world with his name alone, his pedigree. But he wrote in his Bible these words, no reserves. When a friend physically, I mean, went up to him and told him, said, Bill, you are throwing your life away, and he wrote in his Bible, no reserves. When he finished up at uh, Yale, he went to Princeton, got his education there at Princeton, got his theology degree, and uh, he wrote these words in his Bible after he finished up, no retreat. Right under the words, no reserves, he wrote the words, no retreats. After Princeton, December 17th, 1912, he sailed to Egypt 
to study Arabic for a couple of years because he felt God called him to be a missionary in China. He said, why haven't I ever heard about this guy? This guy was a phenomenal man of God, young man of God. Graduated from Yale, graduated from Princeton, went over to Egypt. He was studying Arabic, doing great. And one month later, he died at the age of 25. But before he died, right under the words, no reserves and no retreats, (laughs) praise the Lord, he wrote these words, no regrets. I have no regrets. You know, oftentimes God will ask us to do what is on the surface absolutely radical and unthinkable. He will ask a young man, an army ranger and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Eubanks, will you go to the the Burmese people, modern-day Myanmar, old Myanmar, today Burma, and then from there, would you go and be willing to risk your life in service to me in Mosul, uh, Iraq? But back up in Acts chapter 8, there's a man named Philip. And Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria. And verses 6 through 8 tell us that people are being, I mean, they're being healed. Demons are being cast out of people. Multitudes are coming to faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit says right in the middle of this great revival, hey, Philip, leave it. Leave it all. And go to a place that I will show you. And it is, by the way, in the desert. You say, why would God do that? (laughs) I mean, you know, sometimes God's mathematics, God's economy, God's ways just don't make sense to us. But here's the thing, God's just smarter than we are. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, God, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are greater than our ways. So we, as your servants, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we obey. We just obey Him. Because here's the thing, you never know, you never know the ramifications the repercussions of one small act of obedience in the greater expanse of the kingdom of God. So let's read it together. You ready? Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Dr. Luke says, "Uh, by the way, this is desert. (laughs) Just in case we don't know our geography, Samaria, man, it's happening. There's a revival going on, man. God is moving. God is blessing. Go to the desert, young man. Philip, the good deacon that he was, the good servant of God that he was, the good preacher that he was, he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a a, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury, And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29 says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip debated and he argued with God and he said, Lord, what in the… No. Verse 30 says, So Philip did what? He ran. He ran to the eunuch, and he heard the eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet said, and Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. The place in the scripture which he read was this, 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And watch this. And this will be our last verse. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. You know, I gave you some examples of Mr. Eubanks and his wife and their three kids. I gave the example of Bill Borden, William Borden of Yale. I gave you the example of Philip, a great example of leaving the, the prosperous, the successful, if you will, and going to the desert. But can I submit to you the greatest example ever in all eternity is when Jesus Christ left the glory and the treasure of heaven and came from heaven to earth to live among us. That is the greatest example of somebody who left it all and come to walk among us. So today, what I want to do is just kind of walk through this text with you for a few minutes as we prepare our hearts to come into a time of observing the Lord's Supper. This is always such a special time, so always such a special time of worship and focusing on the blood of Jesus and on the body of Christ broken for us on the cross. And Isaiah 53, that's the text that we read a moment ago. And that's the text where we will end in a few minutes as we focus in. I want you to really help me today. Focus in like, like a laser upon Christ and the gospel and what these elements represent, this little wafer that will represent the body of Jesus and this juice, this red juice that represents uh, His blood. So Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian, it's one of my favorite in all the Word of God. It's a story. It's a beautiful story. It's a true story of how God took one man's faith and obedience and used it to touch an entire continent. I mean, an entire continent of Africa. So first of all, notice with me, we have an obedient servant, and that's really what Philip is. He is an obedient servant of God. And the thing I love about uh, Philip, there's lots of things I love about him. We read about him in Acts chapter 6. He's a, he's a dutiful deacon. He is a man under authority. He is a man who, man, you can assign this guy not to complain, not to fuss. And I'm sure, don't you know, there were tons of things to complain about then as well as today. I think that's the great, great sin in the church in America today is this unspiritual gift of criticism and complaint. And yet Philip says, be gone with that. Man, there's a whole lot more I agree with and I disagree with. Let's wait on the tables. Let's do everything that we can to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's how I describe him. And if you're taking notes, and maybe it'll come up on the screen in a minute, maybe not, but it's called an obedient servant. Do you see it there in your outline? Okay, great. Write it down. Obedient servant. Philip, you're to go to the south. Go to a desert that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a road about 50 miles in duration, 50 miles long. And Philip in verse 27, he doesn't debate, he doesn't explain to God, God, you must be mistaken. I am pastoring a mega church, Lord. 
there are thousands of people here and, 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 and Lord, they, I guess they kind of need me and Lord, you are using me and I'm preaching the word and man, I'm, 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 I'm healing people and demons are flying out of people and you want me to go where? Now, how big is this congregation? Lord, let, let, me, let me just check, see how that's going to look on my resume right quick, Lord, because I mean, if you're calling me to leave a mega church to go to a, a what, Lord? Is it a, how many people are there, Lord? Is there, and, and God's like, there ain't nobody there. Just go. Just be obedient. Leave what you know and go to what you don't know. Does God still do that kind of stuff today? Yes, he does. He still works. He still calls people. He still moves people to places of, of obedience. And this is exactly what he did. And I love this. Now, if you're looking in your Bibles closely, look at verse 27. It says, he arose and went and behold. Let's stop right there for a moment. Do you know that word behold is a Greek word? It's an imperative word. It's the Greek word idon. And it means to watch or take notice of. And it's like, it's like Luke, the good physician, is telling us, people, do y'all realize what is going on here? This man, Philip, is about to obey God, and instead of taking him to this lucrative place and a place of prosperity, God is actually asking him to go, now watch this, and to go to the desert and meet a man, perhaps we think he's just an obscure man, but I'm submitting to you today that this man will give his life to Christ and the gospel will go to the continent of Africa. Why? Because of the obedience of his man, Philip. Now, this eunuch, now do y'all know what a eunuch is? You may have to ask your parents if you're young and they can explain it to you better than I'm going to explain it to you. Let me just say it like this. He cannot have children and so he will never marry and be with his wife and have children so they trust him. You with me? They trust him with the queen. He works for the queen. You say, that is a beautiful name. Her name must have been Candace, and that was not her name. In verse 27, the name Candace is much like the name Pharaoh, or it's a lot like the name Caesar. It's a title. Her name is not Candace. We don't know what her name is, but that's what they called the queens. I think that's a beautiful appellation, don't you? I think that's a beautiful title, called her Candace the queen, whatever her name was. Notice that this eunuch works for her and does not work for the king. Because the king was supposed, supposedly believed to be the offspring of the sun god. And the deity, the divinity of the king, he just felt so entitled and privileged he would never do the day-to-day -day operations of the queen. In fact, the queen ran the place. Man, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, anyhow, the queen, she's in charge. And she takes care of all the treasury and the finances. And this guy, if you could give this eunuch a title, today he would be called the, mo the modern day minister of finance or the secretary of the treasury of the entire Ethiopian country. More things change, more they stay the same. In Nepal, there is a, there is a religious ceremony where the Nepalese people in Kathmandu, they go and they search out for a young child. And whoever they choose, and, and the, in one particular case, they chose a three-year-old, and they believe if she passes this battery of tests, and there are like 35 tests she has to pass, 
<laughs> You're not going to believe me, but this is a true story. One of the tests that the three-year-old had to pass is there'd be multitude of, of animals, yes, buffaloes, who were sacrificed, and she could not cry or show any emotion in the midst of all the blood sacrifices of these buffaloes. That's one of the tests. That's one of the 35 tests that she has to pass. And this young girl, Matina Shakaya, she passed the test, and now she is viewed as deity. She is viewed as not just royalty, but as the divine. She can hardly ever leave the palace in Kathmandu. Her parents can come see her occasionally, but now she is God or one of the Hindu goddesses, and so people have to worship her. And that's a lot like it was with the king of the country that we know uh, of Egypt. And so Egypt, he's… And the queen, uh, Candace, uh, she's there, but the king, he wouldn't be there of Ethiopia. He would be looked upon as deity, and so as God would have it, as God would work it out, he's there, he's large and in charge, he holds the purse, he holds the finances. You say, well, what was he doing in Jerusalem? That would be a very good question. He was worshiping God. He had felt drawn to the monotheism of the Jews. And as he came to Jerusalem to worship, he also was a man of means. I'm telling you, when it says that he had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, do you know how much that cost? That would cost an enormous amount of money. And I don't know if he paid for it out of his own pocket, or I don't know if he said, Miss Candace, I got to take this money, I got to buy this, I'm going to bring you a gift. And so somehow he comes across the scroll, one of the copies, scrolls of Isaiah. And he's reading this scroll. He is reading the prophecy of the Messiah that would come and be slain for the sins of the world. That's what's going on here in our text. Verse 28, he's returning to Ethiopia on this desert road. He's a Gentile God-fearer. You will meet some of these people in our study of the book of Acts. He's a God-fearer like Cornelius. And so, here he goes. He's in the chariot. In verse 29, the Spirit tells Philip, go and overtake this chariot. And by the way, in verse 29, both of those verbs are imperative Greek verbs, go near and overtake. It's like the Holy Spirit. It's like, Philip, I didn't bring you down here for no reason at all. I had you leave this wonderful revival, this great work that I'm doing in Samaria where people are being saved by the hundreds, probably by the thousands. I mean, lives are being, I mean, I mean, they're being changed for good, and so many great things are happening, but now I want you to go, and now that you're here, do you see that chariot? Can y'all see it in your mind's eye? Just a, just a, a puff of smoke. I mean, just, just billowing up in the air, and whoop, the chariot stops. And how Philip got there, I don't know. I don't know if he, if he took the express train, you know, I don't know how he got there so quickly. Maybe the Spirit of God just put him over there. But he looks, and the chariot stops, and there is this eunuch who is reading the scroll of Isaiah. In verse 30, we see obedient Philip, he runs to the chariot. Don't you love that? With alacrity, with speed, he runs, and the Ethiopian is reading out loud. Did y'all see that? It was common practice in those days. You had this sacred scroll. He's reading it out loud, and here's what happens in verses 31 through 34. I call this the honest seeker. The obedient servant would be Philip. The honest seeker would be this man. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't even know his name. Here's no name given for just he's the eunuch. 
and uh, he works for the, the queen, Candace, which is not her name, but is, that is her title. So verse 31, the Ethiopian eunuch answers Philip's question with two questions of his own. Remember, Philip says, hey, do you understand what you are reading? And the, um, the eunuch responds in verse 31, do you see that? And he answers, how can I? Unless somebody guides me. And then he asks another question. He said, Philip, would you come and sit with me in my chariot? Now, here's what's so cool, church. This is so amazing. This man who has the copy of the Word of God, the Old Testament, the Bible of the Jews. Now, remember, the Bible of the New Testament hasn't, hasn't been written. It's not near being written. It's going to be written from around you know, the 50s, 60s, all the way till the canon closes with the revelation. And so this man is reading Isaiah 53. Do y'all remember what Isaiah 53 says? Well, I read a couple of passages to you, but let, let me read a couple more. Isaiah 53, I think it's verses six and seven. Can we pull those up on the screen? Isaiah 53, um, seven and eight, but let's look at verses six and seven. Do we, do we have that? Let me take just a minute. If you have your Bibles, you want to go old school with me? We're going to go to Isaiah 53. Oh, here it is. Look, at this is, this is the book he was reading. Ah, there it is. Thank you all so much for getting that up there. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Watch this. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, and verse 6 says, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was a lamb led as to a slaughter, a sheep before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. He was taken. And look at that. That's what he's reading. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch is reading in the chariot, on the road to Gaza, on the road back home, in the middle of nowhere. And he asked Philip, he goes, Philip, what is this? What, what, what am I reading here? Is, this, is Isaiah talking about Isaiah? Or is Isaiah talking about somebody else? Jews then and Jews today believe that Isaiah 52, 53, the suffering servant passages, they're referring to the Jews as a nation. Or they're referring perhaps as the Gentiles as a nation, but those Messianic Jews, those Jews who believe in the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, they will be quick to tell you, no, they're talking about the Son of God. They're talking about Jesus the Christ who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross, who was buried, and He arose from the grave. But before He did all of that, He suffered, He bled, and He Died. And that is very clear from Isaiah 53. And so this eunuch is going, what in heaven's name is going on? What would you do? What would I do? I mean, I'm sitting in the chariot and this man is going, basically, he's just asking, would you please tell me how to be saved? Would you please tell me how I can know what is going on in this, in this passage of Scripture? And praise God to his everlasting credit. Our man Philip climbs up into the, <laughs> he climbs up into the chariot with him and he strikes when the, when it is hot. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't him haul around and say, well, I don't rightly know. Or, you know, really, I just, he just said, no, it's Christ. It's Jesus Christ 
is who he's talking about. And he gives his life to the Lord. And that's what is so beautiful. And I can't wait next time. We'll, we'll go through the remainder of the passage. But I just, I just wanted to stop right here and just, just ruminate with you, just think deeply with you about what Isaiah wrote about, the fulfillment, the very embodiment and fulfillment of all those prophecies was Jesus Christ, who was wounded for our transgressions, who bled on our behalf, and by His stripes, you with me? By the stripes of Christ, we are healed. We are healed of our sins. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and I'm going to pray with you as we just stop right here and just do something that is spectacular. I mean, a very demonstrative act of worship, very tangible, and I love this time we as a church get to observe the Lord's Supper. So. As I'm praying, our deacons, I want you all to just kind of spread out, and if we see anybody that doesn't have these elements, we want to uh, be sure and give them, and give it to them. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that, God, you've preserved it for us, and, and we are here today, God, to worship you and to, and Lord, to be, just to experience salvation and to know that our sins can be forgiven through Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for those of us who know you. We praise you. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that all we have to do is believe, receive, turn from our sins, and embrace you. And, Lord, we gladly do that today. And thank you, Lord, for the, for the elements that we get to partake. And now, may this be a sacred, sacred time, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you would, take your, your little cups. Does everybody have one? If you don't, just raise your hand, and these deacons who are standing here, we will, we will be happy to get you a cup. Everybody okay over here? Do you need one? Okay, there's a couple over here with their hands raised. All right, thank you. I can't see who that is helping you, but that's wonderful. All right, now remember, don't grab the big tab. You say, Pastor's too late. Don't grab the big tab and then spilt the stuff all over me. It's okay. God loves you. We love you. We're full of grace here, all right? But if you need another one, just, just raise your hand. And um, all right, there's a little plastic film there, okay? You got to look for it. And if you're like me, you got to look really hard and you'll find it. All right, so go ahead and open it up. Just the top film. Ah, look at there. Look at that. It opens up and then grab the little white wafer. Do you see it? Hold on to it. If you get it, raise it in the air. Let me see it so I make sure. Whoa, look at y'all. It's amazing. Now, some of you didn't. That's okay. It is okay. I promise you it's okay. When we eat, you just, you rejoice with us who figured it out and got it, got the hold of it. But seriously, if you, if you need, maybe you need some help. Do you need help? Do you need to open it up? You say, why are you belaboring this? Well, maybe there was a time when I needed help. <laughs> and there was, because I couldn't get it open. And so I want to be extra compassionate to those of you like me. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Matthew chapter 26, I love this passage. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take and eat, for this is my body. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Then he took the cup, 
That same night, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, which is shed for the remission of the sins of many. So what I'd like for you to do now is just take the other little tab. It's a little bigger. It's a little easier. Just go ahead and pull it back. There we go. All right. Should look something like this when it's open. All right. Praise the Lord. So in honor of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his blood shed for us, let's drink this in remembrance of him. And all God's people said, amen. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. So at this time, what I'd love to um, share with you, and if I could just have your attention very carefully, very clearly, what I'd like to do is just say to you today, if, if you're here today, maybe you're watching us online, hundreds of people watch us every Sunday through uh, Facebook and Twitter and in different platforms, and then we get to share the gospel with you. And I know you weren't here today, and you weren't able to take the cup and take the wafer. But most importantly, you heard the gospel, and you're here today in our church, in our worship center at Great Hills Baptist Church, 10,500 Jollyville. And there's never been a time where you were like that eunuch, where you were like, okay, something is going on here. I don't really understand it completely, but there's a I am drawn to this story. There seems to be a lot of suffering. There, there seems to be a lot of love and sacrifice. Who is it for, and why did he do it? Well, it's for us, and the reason is that we have sinned against God. We have violated God's laws, right? His commandments, His statutes, His precepts, you, you name it, we've broken it. And knowing that we could never be good enough to earn God's favor, and that's what breaks my heart so much about all these world religions, they all have the same thing in common, whether it's, and, and world religions including cultic groups like Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and, and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims, they all have the same thing in common. If I could just be good enough, if I could just pray more, if I could just fast more, if, if I could just knock on your door one more time, if I could just buffet my body and live the life of an ascetic and just, and just deny myself, if, if I could just do those things, then God, whoever you are up there, surely you will be pleased with me and you will forgive me. And when I die, I, I can go to heaven because I have been good enough. I want to tell you something. That is the difference between all the other religions in the world and Christianity. God says, I know you can't be good enough. That's why I'm giving you my son. And Jesus dies. He takes all of our sins upon the cross. He bleeds, and as he bleeds this, this horrible death, you and I, our sins are forgiven. You say, how does that work? With no shedding of blood, there is, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So here we are in all of our sin, and we can't do anything about it. Jesus takes all of our sins on himself as the pure, spotless, suffering servant, as the Lamb of God, and he dies, and he pays the price for all of our sins. And you say, that sounds too good to be true, but it is true. All we have to do is say, I believe that. 
I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's taken all of my sins and he has forgiven me and cleansed me. Mm -mm -mm. I turn away from all of my sins and I run to the cross and I embrace this Savior. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. Welcome to the family of God. That, that's what it means. That's what it means to be a Christian. You notice you, you didn't pay for it, you didn't, you didn't earn it, you, you, didn't, you didn't clean yourself up, you just came as you are. And the beautiful thing happens, it's called salvation, it's called redemption. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but it's according to His mercy, He saves us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If I could earn, and I tried, by the way, I tried really hard praying, fasting, preaching, memorizing Scripture. I, I tried everything I possibly knew to do to earn the favor of God until I realized, like Martin Luther in the 15th century in Germany, I thought I was ascetic. I mean, this guy's laying naked on the floor. I mean, just freezing himself, memorizing the Greek New Testament, doing all of these things, lecturing on the book of Romans. And, and that was me. I, I was trying so, okay, God, I could do this and you will be pleased with me. And Martin Luther said it was like the tumor lapness. The German word means to come out of your cage. He goes, one day I'm reading the book of Romans. I'm, in fact, I'm, he said, I'm lecturing on the book of Romans. And it says, the just shall live by, anybody? by faith, not by works, but by faith. And then he said, it happened. My sins were forgiven. The Holy Spirit of God come in me. Mine wasn't near as dramatic. It was in Mobile, Alabama in a bedroom, January the 3rd, 1984. And I was just in my room and, and I was in much angst. And I, I, and, I, and I was so desperately thinking that, you know, can I just be good enough? And, and then God just revealed to me Romans 10, 9. It's like, hey, just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, He's the boss, believe that I raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved, and I did. Praise God. It's that beautiful. It's that simple. Have you done that? Have you accepted Christ, His death on the cross for your forgiveness of sins? If not, you can do that right now. You say, okay, how do I do that? Well, you just say, Lord, I receive it, and Lord, I believe in You that You are who You say You are, and I turn away from my life from being the boss from being the king, and I, I humble myself before you, God, and I receive you as my Savior. Let's do that. Let's pray to the Lord right now. Many of you want to do that. Many of you watching us online, I have no doubt that you think you stumbled upon our broadcast, but God supernaturally led you to this broadcast. And you've heard a gospel message. You've heard a sermon about the cross. You, you, you've seen a beautiful example of a witness named Philip sharing with an Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to give his life to Christ. Many of you can give your life to Christ now and receive him. Just say it like this. In the quietness of your heart, just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me. I give you my past. I give you my present. <laughs> I give you my future. All that I have, God, is yours. I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised His Son from the dead to pay the penalty for my sins. So, there you are. Can I just be the first to say welcome to the family of God? Hallelujah. 
Would you tell somebody about it? Tell me, tell somebody in this church before you leave today. If you're watching us online, please reach out to us. You can reach out to us. You can call us here at Great Hills, or you can call a friend and tell your friend that today on March the 8th of 2020, in the midst of so much fear and confusion and chaos in our world, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to you. You received the Son of God, and now you're a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for salvation that flows freely from this place. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Thank you, God, for Great Hills Baptist Church, for the body of Christ that meets here, that worships you here. Thank you, Lord, that we get the privilege of preaching your name and sharing the gospel with with many. So bless our church, Lord. Bless our people. And Lord, I pray that we would just continue to see the power of God rest upon us and move upon us. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me right where you are. We'll have some pastors up here at the front. If you have received Christ as your Savior, you want to come and share that good news with us, you come on and share it with us. Or maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Man, we invite you to do that. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ben. You young guys, doesn't that bless y'all's heart to see a bunch of young people leading us in worship? Woo-hoo! Praise the Lord. Man, I'm so grateful to God for them and the, and the work that God has done in their lives. Remember you getting baptized. Raise your hand right here. Just a few weeks ago, right? Or a few months, give or take. Oh, it's last November. Like I said, a few weeks ago, she, she got baptized at Great Hills. How about you, Sean? Where are you heading in the fall or in the spring? All right, going to seminary, going in the gospel. Man. I remember this guy giving his life to the Lord here. I remember us discipling him, Daniel and Jeffrey, and you guys pouring into him. And, and the rest of, man, look at you over there, man, looking good playing that guitar. And praise the Lord. And you, raised in this church, I know your mom and daddy. That would be the Gonzaleses, right? I don't know who you are, young man. Who's your mom and dad? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> praise the Lord for these young people. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you'd say, that's what I want. And I want what those guys have. I want what you got. How do you, how do you get that? Just believe. Just receive Christ today. God bless you as you, as you come.